0: Thank you for having me with with you all this morning. Uh, really glad I'm preaching so I don't have to wear a mask for the next <laughs> bit. Um, uh, my name is Austin Royal, and I am the pretty new uh, campus minister at the University of Arkansas. I moved to Fayetteville about a month ago with my wife, Anna Caroline, and daughter, Lindley. Uh, and we've been... Getting settled in. So, this is the first time that I've preached in a long time, like five months. Kind of weird. So I might make up for lost time, and this turned into a two-hour thing. So, just uh, get comfortable. I'm just kidding. Uh, but one thing that's kind of unique about uh, me coming out to Arkansas is one, I've never been here before. I've never never crossed through Arkansas until I moved here. Because of COVID, we couldn't come out and visit. Uh, so. We accepted the job without visiting it uh, but it's it kind of interesting I, I grew up in macon georgia uh, which is where rick canada who planted this church uh, was called to after he left here and so rick canada was the first pastor that i remember the really big guy wearing a black robe that got in front of us every week and talked uh, and in the same way he, uh, he called a friend of his chip miller uh, to come be an assistant and chip miller was the the pastor that i grew up with uh he's been the pastor of fresh press macon for many years now and still is and chip miller was actually the man who started ruf at arkansas way back in the 80s and so just kind of a funny unique connections to uh, this area but uh, ruf is a campus ministry uh, where they send ordained ministers to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve on different college campuses, and so I'm excited to be able to do that here in Fayetteville. Before I came here, I was working with RUF at Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, which is pretty close to Nashville. Uh, it's where Fort Campbell is, so that's just a little bit about me, and this morning, we are going to talk about uh, Psalm 103, as been previously mentioned, and if If you read a commentary or you read multiple commentaries uh, about Psalm 103, everyone will say that it's pretty obvious David is thinking about the book of Exodus as he writes this Psalm. And so I just want you to think about that before we read it. Uh, As you think about Psalm 103, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, the way it portrays God, it's coming from a man who was either listening to God's word being read in the temple, or maybe he was having someone read it, someone's reading it to him himself, or maybe he was just meditating on something that he had memorized as a child. And and this is what comes out of him. Thinking about the Old Testament, the the Pentateuch, and this is what comes out of him. Uh, And so with that in mind, uh, I would invite you to stand, and we'll read... Psalm 103 together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his, his dominion. Bless the Lord, i my soul. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for gathering us this morning. Thank you for these beautiful words, words that are rich and deep. And Lord, we thank you especially words that are true. And I pray that your love your fatherly care, the benefits of knowing you would sink deeper and deeper into our hearts this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So my family for many years now has been vacationing in the mountains. And I've just grown to love the mountains. And it's one of the reasons why uh, moving to Fayetteville wasn't really that hard of a decision. We just, we'd heard how beautiful it was. We knew the mountains around and um, even even the drive between Little Rock and Fayetteville is awesome. Uh, very beautiful area. And so mountains are this massive, huge, wonderful uh, thing to discover. Uh, you know, if, if you think of your favorite hiking place or your favorite mountain, the, the place that you have this maybe amazing scenic view uh, and I just want you to imagine going there. Uh, I think of this place in North Carolina where my family goes. It's called Whiteside Mountain. It has these amazing rock faces on the side of it. That's why it's called Whiteside. And there's just no trees, there's no brush, and just massive rock faces. They're just amazing and beautiful. And so, like, as as we're driving towards this mountain, I'm thinking I want to know this mountain. I, I'm curious. I want to understand it more than just the little path that kind of everyone walks up uh, to get to the top. And so me and my brothers, we're always looking for for new places to explore, for for the random little trails that kind of drift off that might be a little dangerous. You don't exactly know where they're going, but it it might be an overlook that presents this just beautiful and amazing thing. And and so we're always looking for something like that uh, to to maybe see a different angle of the mountain uh, or maybe have a different overlook of the surrounding area. And I, I think a, a text like this, Psalm 103, kind of demands us to do that, to have this curious uh, position as we approach it. To, to be extra curious of, like, what is God saying? W- what do these words mean? To want to experience in a new way because God's love is so big, it's so marvelous, it's so beautiful. and. It's easy for us to just kind of like walk in, hear the love of God, hear about forgiveness, and then move on our way. And I I want us to have a a, a curious uh, position, this one where we want to experience God in a new way. And so I hope as as we read this, you'll have that in mind. Where might the love of God need to disrupt something in your life right now? Where where might the love of God uh, need to show you the depths of it in in new ways, ways that you've never exhausted. Even if you've been a Christian for ages, decades, you cannot exhaust the love of God. And and actually, I would say that's one of the main points of this song. And so as you think about that, let's let's dig into it this morning. There's really two points this morning. Remembering the steadfast love of God and the steadfast love of the Father. Uh, So first, remembering the steadfast love of God. As you come into the psalm, the psalmist is calling himself, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. And we're familiar with the Bible talking about blessing. But it's usually God blessing us. And the psalmist is saying, no, I want to bless the Lord. And so what exactly does it mean? I mean, it means what you think it might. uh, He wants his soul to be worshiping God to be praising God, but it's also a little bit deeper. It kind of gets at adoration, adoring. He's calling himself to delight in God, to not just simply be in awe and worship him, but to adore him, to have this sweet affection towards God. And so one of the things that this psalm kind of like calls us to this morning is to actually consider what do you adore? Do you adore God? Do you delight yourself in God? Do, do your affections move towards him? Or do they move away from him? I mean, you think about like Monday at 3 o'clock, Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Where, where is your delight and your desires going? Are, is it moving towards God or something else? And the psalmist confronts us with that. He, he calls us to remember who our God is and not just who he is but specifically the benefits of knowing him and so look, look at verse three he calls us to know the benefits and I actually think a better better way to think about it is like to know the good things of God he's saying soul remember the good things of God remember how they spill out into your life how they trickle down into your life you have to remember these things Because if we know ourselves, Monday at 3 a.m., Monday at 9 a.m., Monday at 3 p.m., like we have all these different things going on in our mind. Our schedule, our to-do list, the things that happened to us the day before, the things that might happen down the road, responsibilities. And it's easy to push out thoughts of God. And the psalmist is saying, no, remember. You have to remember these things. And I think he actually, he assumes that as we do remember, as we get to know these good things of God, as as we see the benefits of God, we will become like him and want to worship, want to adore, want to delight, because that's how the psalm ends. It starts with one man praising, worshiping, blessing, adoring. And it ends with all the angels, all the universe doing the exact same thing. He thinks there's something about this text that if we see it clearly, we will see God in a way that it will transform our hearts. And so it's this list of beautiful, good things. Things like this, verse three, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David is saying you must remember these things. This is who your God is. This is who we, with our minds, say we worship. But functionally, as we live out our day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, does it actually come out? The delighting, the adoring, the resting, the praise, and it—if you look at the passage, uh, one benefit, one good thing, kind of keeps popping up, and it's it's steadfast love. You see it in verse four, you see it in verse eight, you see it in verse eleven, and then verse seventeen. It's steadfast love. Uh, the word commonly tra- or I guess, the Hebrews, this hesed it's a word that you know gets thrown out all the time because it it's steadfast love we see it a lot maybe loving kindness is what your translation says in your bible it's just one word which means in some ways we might not think it's that big of a deal but how do you like synthesize the love of God down into one word and so we're going to explore a little bit about how like what does the love of God actually mean but if if y'all know Sandra McCracken she's a She's a singer-songwriter, Indelible Grace. She has this live CD and uh, a version of her song that she sings that's called Steadfast. And she likens the steadfast love of God to vinegar. And if you know anything about vinegar, it, it packs a punch. Like if, if vinegar is in a dish and you use too much of it, it's all you taste. If there's a bottle of vinegar that's been used in the kitchen or has opened the kitchen, it's, it's what you smell. It packs a punch it it trumps everything else in the room and she's saying the love of God has an edge to it it is the loudest voice in the room it gets the last word always and so when the love of God is spoken about when we hear it we have to listen this unconditional love Uh, What Sally Lloyd-Jones, this is how she translates steadfast love. She says it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. We want to know that love, the depths of it. And Psalm 103 tries to describe it to us and does it first in verse 4. Look at it. It says, he says, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy steadfast love is something you are crowned in so think about that for a second a a crown is a status symbol it closely connected to kingship princes, princesses They, they have this crown on their head and so steadfast love is something that draws you in to the family of god that gives you a new identity and so No matter what your former way of life was, when God's love crowns you, when he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, he gives you a new identity, a new way to think of yourself, a new way to live in the world, in reference to the Father, the King of Kings, which is what David later references in this chapter. Uh, We're invited into the family of God through the steadfast love, and he crowns us in his love. But if you think about it, that Hebrew word can be translated in another way. Like you think about a crown, it's the circular thing that the word is also used to mean surround. Steadfast love is something that is always present. You are wrapped in steadfast love as a child of God. It's always close. It's never far from you. And if you look at the context of what, when and where people are crowned, look at it who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast love meets people in the pit. It it goes into the messy places of our lives. Steadfast love shows up in the pit of despair, the pit of loneliness, uh, the pit of exhaustion and anxiousness, The love of God shows up there and crowns people. It makes them into new people. It draws them out of it. Look at verse 8. Steadfast love is something that is abounding. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It's plentiful. It it won't run out. It's it's like this broken fire hydrant where love is just spewing out. You, you You can't use it up. And, and that's actually where, kind of where the psalmist goes with it. it. It's this abundant thing that just keeps going and going and going. You can't measure it. You can't capture it in. And so it's this huge mass. You're, you, there's always something else to discover. There's always something else to find. There's always something else to see where it actually can meet you in your life. And so I, I don't know how, like, what, what jumped out to you as you read, as I read Psalm 103 to you? On first reading, like, it's very beautiful. It just talks about all these amazing things. But if you really look closely, all these amazing things about God are happening in hard places. Places where there's a lot of sin. Places where there's a lot of evil. Places where there's a lot of despair. That is where the love of God infiltrates and crowns people. That's where the love of God is abundant and overflows, it meets people where you are. This psalm this does not miss you. It knows where you live your life. It fits into your world. We tend to think like, oh, look, I don't know if the love of God works here. I don't know if Christianity works here. Like, look at the text. Look at all the places the love of God is said to be true and good. And it's David saying it. A, a man who we... if you you know the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, there are so many things we know about David's life and he did not have an easy life. And yet, he proclaims the glory of the love of God. The abundance of it. The never running out of it. Um, There's this slogan, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Y'all know that one? Um, And it's it's kind of a funny idea, like, it's brilliant marketing in a way, but Like it's, it's, bec- it's like Vegas beckoning you to come to Las Vegas and live however you want for four or five or six days and then go home and, and leave it all there. Like, it, it stays in Vegas. What happens there stays, stays there. And so you can live worry-free. You can live as if there's no consequences. And the reality is, like, we know, that. we know that's not true. Like, depending on what happens in Vegas, like, the consequences of it could follow you for a long time. You, uh, the financial problems, debt, debauchery, bad memories, maybe a police record. Like, it, it could follow you for a very long time. But the reality is, is like, when it comes to sin, when it, when it comes to the hard things in our life, when it comes to the places where we wish we had no consequences, they didn't happen in Vegas. It happened in Little Rock or, or it happened in Fayetteville or, or it happened in high school where every time you go home, you're reminded of what you did or what was done to you. Or, or it happened in the office or it happened last night at 9 p.m. And those are the places where our sin actually manifests itself, where the consequences are felt. And God looks at us and says, I, I redeem people with my steadfast love my forgiveness my love is true for people even in the midst of their sin and he calls us back to himself to actually rest in it to actually find peace in this love why because he knows we need it he knows that sinful people demand forgiveness and love and one of the ways he actually gives that to us like he gives it to us through jesus it it doesn't just fall out of thin air it it comes to us through the precious blood of Jesus, the forgiveness, the love that he speaks of. It's a place that doesn't run out of love and look at the text look at look at verses uh, eleven and twelve uh, these are intended to be read together for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us think about this the bible cements god's love and your sin to one another and it does that through the person and work of jesus christ it Sin and love do not make sense apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. But these words are beautiful. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he remove our sins from us. Uh, do, y'all, do y'all know what Andromeda Galaxy is? It's, it's the farthest galaxy the human eye can see. Uh, it's the one beside the Milky Way, which is what we live in. And basically, if you get a super super huge telescope you can see andromeda Andromeda galaxy uh, and it's about 2.5 million light years away which is a really large number but the reality is is we do not move in light years we cannot move that fast and so to actually get to the farthest place in the heavens the human eye can see it would take between five and ten billion years to actually get there and god is saying my steadfast love is bigger than It's so like again, you you maybe you see where the text, where it's going with the steadfast love of God. It's it's infinite. It goes on forever. That's what verse seventeen says. It's from everlasting to everlasting, and it is offered to you. It's like when I was a little kid and I was trying to win an argument in second or third grade, and someone's like, "Well, like." I scored one goal today, and you're like, no, I scored two two goals, and they're like, well, I scored five goals, and then someone eventually says, well, I scored infinity goals, and it's like, you know the conversation's over. It trumps everything. Uh, You can't say anything beyond that. But the thing is, I didn't know what infinity meant. I just knew it was the biggest thing possible. Like, I didn't really know how it mapped onto my life. I didn't know how to make sense of it. And so I, I think there's degree where the psalmist, in a way, actually understands that. Which is why the shift in verse 13 takes place. He's talking about all these good things. The wonderful, amazing, abundant love of God that he wants you to experience. He wants you to understand it. And the way he does that is by connecting it to two things. A father's love And a fragile, weak frame. And so, this this is what Psalm 103 is saying. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. He's saying, at the heart of the universe is patient, steadfast love. At the heart of the universe is a loving father who extends patient, steadfast love. The the heart of the universe is not chaos. It's not indifference. It's not a cold blank stare. At the heart of the universe is a loving God, king over all creation, who throws out steadfast love and care on whoever will receive it in Jesus. And so, verse 13 comes up and he says... As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And I think steadfast love maybe begins to touch places we don't think it could touch. Like, we, we, know, we know what a father should be. We, we long for what a father should be. This protective, present, strong, yet gentle Loving and caring, but firm when necessary. Present in the good times, shoulder to cry on, present in the hard times. And the reality is, for many of us, our Father was some of those things. Or or maybe none at all. Maybe we never knew our Father. And so when the Bible talks about God as our Father, it actually can be really hard for us. It it can be hard to, to actually process, okay, what does it mean? I'm a child of God, and God is my father, and he loves me as a father should. And I I think for any of us, if, if we mask God in the image of our earthly father, it is going to fall far short of who God actually is, how he actually loves us, what it actually means for him to be a compassionate father. And so we can't mask God in the image of an earthly father. Even though we know it should be an amazing relationship. A father loving his child. We know it's good. We know it's right. We know it is a beautiful thing, and yet it's easy for it to be distorted. And so I want you to think, like, I mean, I I hadn't been a father that long. uh, about three years now, Lindley was born uh, right, yeah, three years ago. She's three. Uh, she's awesome. And it, it was kind of funny when I became a father, like, I didn't know what to expect. You, you just don't. But I remember as I grew up, and, and maybe y'all remember or have heard things like this before, but it's like people would win the Super Bowl or they would win a gold medal or they would do something amazing in life. And someone would say, hey, is this the best day of your life? And, and they would say, well, it's, it's like the second best day of my life. Like the best day of my life was when my first child was born. And it's like, I did not understand that. And then I had a child and it made sense. Like the, the amount of love uh, for that girl, uh, the amount of care, the, 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 the way I want to be to her, it's just like, off the charts, never could have understood it until I actually had my own. And the thing is, I I love her so much and yet I will fail her. I have failed her plenty already and she's only three. Um, it's, God loves his children so deeply. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. And Where do you need to hear that love spoken to you this morning? That that God loves you in the midst of your failures. That that God loves you in in spite of the ways that you have been tempted and given into temptation over and over and over again in the past week. That, That God's forgiveness is real and true for you. That you can receive it and give him your guilt and shame. That is how great a steadfast love is, because that is the love we find in Jesus. The fact that Jesus would come out of heaven, die on a cross, live a life he didn't need to, but he did it for us. And just saying that, like, David presents it that way, because look at this. 13, 14, 15. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to fear him. Look at what it says next. For he knows our frame. He remembers that you are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. That is saying exactly what you think it's saying. That man... Us and our humanity, we're we're like one of those yellow dandelions that one day isn't in the grass, the next day is this little yellow flower, and then two days later, it's this gray thing that kids want to kick over or blow. Like, and that doesn't mean that you are insignificant. It just means that you are fragile and weak. And it, God's love meets you in the midst of your frailty, your humanity, your weakness. And the thing is, we, we spend most of our lives trying to run away from that, to act as if it's not true. There's a psalm that says, man's strength lasts 70, 80, maybe 90 years. But eventually it fades. Eventually it's blown away. And it's because we, we were made to be Dependent on God to trust Him in all things, to, to give Him the weak, fragile places of our lives. And if, if COVID hasn't taught us anything, it has to have taught us that we are not in control of our lives. And that one little thing can literally stop the whole world. And we can't do anything about it. We need a powerful God who knows our weaknesses and meets us with compassion who knows our weaknesses and can actually empathize with them and and that that's the beauty of jesus that that he can actually he, he doesn't just know our frame he's experienced our frame what it's like to be dust what it's like to die i think as we as we look at this passage But One of the ways that steadfast love becomes more real to us is realizing uh, the ways that Jesus takes the place of us in so many places. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. He wore a crown of thorns so that we could be crowned in steadfast love. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven, a place where he was untouchable, where, where no power, no evil could ever touch him, and he made himself touchable. He made himself hurtable. He made himself weak because of his love for us so we might know him more truly. That we might know the riches of heaven. He gave that up so that we could enter into the riches of heaven. Uh, it, Psalm 103 is just an amazing passage because it, it promises like so so much life, so much beauty, and then I think it actually tries it to connect to places that we don't really think steadfast love actually should go To, to the weak, vulnerable places of our lives, to our insecurities, to our temptations that we feel like we can't get over. And God attaches his steadfast love there and says, no, this is real and true for you here. Allow me to meet you there. I think just as, as we think about this, um, I'll close with this. As, as we think about like, just how do we apply this? How do we draw ourselves towards remembering, towards resting? Because, you know, I, I think maybe you're, you're seeing this mountain, this beautiful mountain, this huge mass of the beauty of God's steadfast love, and you're thinking, like, I, I can't get up there. Uh maybe there's a bunch of roadblocks, maybe there's a bunch of like things that say like, no trespassing, don't go there, and and it feels like we shouldn't be able to go that way. And I think what it looks like to know and remember and trust and adore the the steadfast love of God, it, it actually is a whole lot more, looks a whole lot more like resting at the feet of Jesus. Trusting at the feet of Jesus, knowing that you are weak frail and cannot do life on your own and turning to your savior and sitting at his feet and listening and learning watching how did he love people how did he care for people where did he show patience compassion who did he show that to what would it look like for me to do that on saturday morning when things are crazy what would it look like for me to have a moment where I actually stop mentally and physically to, to sit at the feet of jesus and read his word and pray. Because you, you don't just draw to remembrance things you don't know. The psalmist knew these things. And he, he, he did that in a number of ways. Like he had to have sat and read and looked and memorized. But it also, the steadfast love draws us towards compassion and patience. It draws us towards humility because we see how humble our Savior is that he would give up so much, that he would take on so much, that we might know that love more deeply. And so, it is resting at the feet of Jesus and knowing how great God's fatherly love for us that actually begins to transform us and allows us to live differently in the world. So I I pray that we will rest at the feet of Jesus and find the steadfast love that the Father has poured out on us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your amazing grace that you are a God who is slow to anger, who does not always keep his anger forever, who doesn't always chide or discipline, but has so much grace, mercy, and love stored up for his people. We thank you for these good things. Uh, that you forgive sins, that you bring justice, uh, that you crown people with steadfast love and mercy who are stuck in the pit, who've hit rock bottom. You are there for them, Lord. And I pray that we would know you as that God. And we thank you that you present yourself as a father. And we thank you for the ways that Jesus actually believed that was true. Calling you father. Calling to you, coming to you, crying out to you, Lord, may we do the same. May we trust you as he did. Trust you to be our Heavenly Father who is good and loving. Lord, we thank you for the adoption we have in Jesus Christ. We are your children and no one can take that away from us. May we live as if we are your children, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.